Advent, a season of expectant, purposeful waiting for the fulfillment of prophetic promises of Scripture. A season of inspiration found in the remembering and retelling of the stories from the first Advent as Israel awaited the arrival of their Messiah. As we reflect on the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of our Creator God, themes of hope, peace, joy, and love emerge, teaching us now, in the second Advent, how to be purposeful in our waiting. Encouraging those who lack hope. Bringing peace where there is strife. Spreading joy to the broken. And selflessly loving others all the while looking forward to the return of Jesus and his good rule and reign in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. Come, Come Lord, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Come. Sing it with us.
Welcome you, each of you, to the beginning of the third week of Advent. Russell Dorch, we're glad to have you with us from the Rogers campus. Feels like old times, doesn't it, Russ? <laughs> As a celebration cell church, this week we gather to celebrate joy with each other. And hopefully sometime during this week, you will get together as a small group and really encourage each other to celebrate the joy that only Jesus brings. Whatever your small group looks like, whether it is a community group or a cell group or a men's or women's group, but especially with your family, encourage each other to live and practice joy together. We have some amazing resources at Fellowship to help you do that. There is the daily Devo that you can um, subscribe to through your email, and you can listen to it or read it each day. The family um, Advent Devo, I've heard such amazing things about it. We passed out all our books last week, but it's still available online if you would like to use it. And our fellowship worship team has really um, done an amazing job recording some songs that you could listen to during this time. And I wanted to take a minute to, this morning to thank the worship team and the tech team and our teachers for not only teaching us and allowing us to read, but allowing us to experience Advent together. So thank you so much. Has your family picked which service they're coming to for Christmas? Um, for the Christmas services, a reminder that there will be three on Christmas Eve. The times are 2.30, I'm looking, 2, 3.30, and 5 o'clock. And then on, sun, on Christmas morning, we will have one service at 10.30. So keep talking about which one you'll come to. As a part of Tim's and my um, Christmas celebration, we have... Um, really enjoyed um, praying together about the gifts. And um, Tim reminded me this week, have you been thinking about it, Beth? And as we think and pray about it, then we would come together and decide what we will give this year. And it has become such a great um, thing that we do together. And it's always fun to see what the Holy Spirit, um, how much is we're on, in line with um, each other and the Holy Spirit as we do this together. So I encourage you to do that. There are envelopes. We found them this week, and they are at the resource um, at the resource booth. If you want to pick up pick up one, or you can always give online. Um, this morning we get to celebrate joy with some of our global workers: um, Bobby, Beth, and Annalise. Stottle, and then their two daughters are here, their two college daughters, to light um, the joy candle with us. So good morning, Stottles. Selamat pagi, bapak-bapak, ibu-ibu, saudara-saudara sekalian. Kami mengucap syukur bahwa kami sekeluarga bisa berkumpul sama saudara-saudara Fellowship Bentonville untuk merayakan Good morning, friends. For those of you that don't know us, we are the Stottle family. I'm Beth, my husband Bobby, and our youngest daughter, Annalise. We partner with Fellowship Bentonville to see God's kingdom grow here in Southeast Asia. This morning, our oldest daughters, Devani and Kaden, are there with you to light the shepherd's candle of joy. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 9, 2-3. Bangsa yang berjalan dalam kegelapan 
telah melihat terang yang besar. Mereka yang tinggal di negeri bayang-bayang maut, atasnya terang telah bersinar. Engkau memperbanyak jumlah bangsa itu. Engkau memperbesar sukacita mereka. Mereka bersukacita di hadapanmu, seperti orang bersukacita pada musim menuai, seperti orang bergembira ketika membagi-bagi jarahan. Isaiah 9, 2-3 The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Please pray with us. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have come and brought your light in a dark, dark place. We thank you that you bring joy through peace and goodwill towards the men and women you've created. Lord, may we be messengers of your joy. Lord, Lord, would you continue to gather more and more people into your kingdom. We trust that the coming of your Savior brings good tidings and great joy. Elam nama Isa al-Masih, sang junjungan kita yang ilahi. Amen. Fellowship, will you stand with us? Oh, come, all ye
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping their watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all that heard were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. People said, Amen. With great joy, they went back to their lives. I do have to ask you, though, can you imagine a more unlikely character in the nativity story than a shepherd? Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, that's a question that's strange, because we've never even thought of the nativity story apart from a shepherd. They just seem to fit. Well, that's because we look at the story through modern eyes. But in Jesus' day, the shepherd was one of the lowest class of citizens. In fact, they ranked just ahead of the lepers. Uh, the shepherds, uh, they were nomadic. So they lived away from people, away from town, out in the fields. They were isolated, often worked a graveyard shift. They had low pay, so their status in the community wasn't high. Shepherds did not get visitors, unless you can consider a wild animal or a thief a visitor. Shepherds uh, didn't get invited places. They smelled. They were dirty. They were uneducated. They lacked social poise. Rabbis taught that the shepherds were ceremonially unclean. You did not invite them to your religious gatherings. That would make you unclean as well. In fact, shepherds were mistrusted by society. When something came up missing in your home, you just blamed the shepherds. You knew who took it. If we had a modern-day equivalent of shepherds in our day, think carnival worker. Can you imagine a more unlikely character in the nativity story? And yet, it wasn't just God's plan, it was God's pleasure to make sure that his coming was first announced to shepherds. Let that set in. Our God was delighted to come to the most marginalized and say, I am here for you. And that tells us so much about the heart of God that it causes us to pause in humility and smile in gratitude at the very same time, listen to those words that Phil read to us from Luke chapter 2, just verse 9 through 11. We read that this, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So to these marginalized men, God comes and says, I have good news. 
And he says, my good news actually has a goal. What's the goal in the text? Great joy for all the people. Starting with the most marginalized in Jesus' day, coming to the most marginalized in our day. People like you. People like me. And if I had to ask you to lock in on that word great joy or joy, in fact, if you had to explain it to a seven-year-old child, how would you explain joy? I mean, just pick one word in your mind. Joy is blank. It's not that easy, is it? If you say joy is happiness or joy is pleasure or joy is gladness, somehow there's something in you that says, that's not quite right. Joy is more than that. Well, then sometimes you can understand things by flipping it on its head. What's the opposite of joy? Well, maybe you would find yourself trying to define joy by saying, well, the opposite then is, the opposite of joy is grief or mourning or sadness. But that's not quite right, and we know it. Because we know that joy and sadness can reside in the same human heart at the same time. Ask anybody who's celebrating this holiday season for the first time without a loved one, and they will tell you, that they are experiencing both joy and grief at the same time. No, those can't be opposites. There must be something more to joy. And I think God wants to tell us what it is. In fact, we see what God ties joy to when he uses that phrase, I bring you, and he says two things, good news of great joy. So somehow joy is connected to something. And that something is the good news that only God can bring. And that's huge. Because that means the joy is not just wishful thinking on, a, on the part of like positive people. A joy is not just a human desire. Joy is actually something real, something that is given by God. In fact, I would go so far as to say joy is God's agenda for people. It's God's plan for you. See, God's plan for his people is joy. Don't skip over that. Don't intellectualize that. Let that sink in. God has in his mind and heart a joy that would fill your mind and heart. In fact, he wants it so much that he will often do exactly what he did to the shepherds. He will interrupt their momentary happiness to invite them to trade up to joy. God has no problem interrupting our calm routines of life, just like he did for the shepherds, causing momentary fear, all for the purpose of seeing them experience a greater joy. That's how much he wants it. You know, the Bible speaks of joy and rejoicing 333 times. Some of us in the room are already thinking about a New Year's resolution, and some of you have said, I think I'm going to read through the Bible in a year in 2023. Well, if you do, you just need to be prepared to feast on joy almost every single day. Do not try it unless you can handle being happier. Because that would be God's appetite for you as well. Just a small sample of the scriptures that God has related to joy. He tells us in Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So your sustenance is the substance of his joy. Later in chapter 12, we read that on that day, the people offered great sacrifices rejoicing because God had given them great joy. They didn't have to work up happiness. Joy was a gift that came from God. Psalm 16, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. That tells us where joy is found. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 67. The command is that all the peoples, all the nations, even this faraway nation, 2,000 years later in the United States, this nation, all the people would be glad and sing for joy. Why does God want a people who sing for joy? because it matches who he is, and he sings for joy. Zephaniah chapter 3, he, God, will rejoice over you with singing. 
what does this tell us about joy? That it's found in the presence of God. It's found in Him. We experience joy when we experience Jesus. Because His presence, the psalmist tells us, is joy. And if you'll indulge me for just a half a second, I know I've showed you this before. Allow me to be redundant. This is a picture that hangs above my computer in my home office. When people walk by that office, they look at it and shake their heads. Some smile and some smirk and just stare because it feels so odd. A Jesus who doesn't just smile in a condescending kind of bless your heart way, but belly laughs with joy. And we say to ourselves, wait a minute, there's nowhere in Scripture that tells us that God laughs. In fact, we know from Isaiah that Jesus is the, the man of sorrows who bore sin and shame. Yes. For what purpose? To bring great joy to all peoples. He has an appetite for our joy. We did not invent laughter. He's not saying, ooh, I wish I had thought of that. We laugh. Because he is full of joy. God is the happiest being in the universe at this very moment. His joy overspills the Trinity and their relationship with one another. This is the Jesus who comes and says, I bring you good news of great joy. What is the good news? That the Savior is coming. And when the Savior comes, the result is is great joy. And that tells us where the ultimate experience of joy actually is found for the human heart. Again, just a sample sum of the Old Testament. Hannah prayed this in 1 Samuel 2, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Why? For I delight in your deliverance. The psalmist in Psalm 95 says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud. Why? Because he's the rock of our salvation. Psalm 51 is a prayer restored to me, not my joy, but the joy of your salvation. And again, it tells us something about the source of joy. Great joy comes from God's salvation. So God is a Savior, the angel announced to the shepherds. What is Roman numeral one on a Savior's job description? To save. And when we experience his salvation, the result is a joy that comes from God. We experience his salvation and we taste joy. Notice I said taste joy. Because we won't experience the fullness of his salvation until we step into his presence face to face. No, on this side of eternity, we've tasted salvation now and we long to experience it in full. But even that longing actually creates joy. The longing is not a disappointment. No, the longing actually entices our heart to become even happier at what is to come. Longing can increase joy. It was C.S. Lewis who tried to describe joy this way. He said, joy is an unsatisfied desire. He said, joy is a most desirable longing. That sounds odd to us, because in a society of instant gratification, we're told that happiness comes when you get it and get it now. And Lewis says, oh, no, it's not. And those of you who have built a home know this. Some of you were more excited at the process of building that home than you are in living in it. You knew the happiness of dreaming dreams, seeing something come together. Lisa and I will celebrate our 36th anniversary in two weeks, and uh, we will take a trip right after the holidays for a few days just to get away and celebrate. I've got to tell you, we're experiencing joy just in thinking about that trip, in planning that trip, and talking about what we will talk about on that trip. Now, we haven't been on the trip yet, but the trip is already making us happy. Are we shallow? Maybe. Does it tell us something about the nature of joy? Definitely. Joy 
joy is tied to the longing. Yes, when we get on that trip, we're going to enjoy the happiness of walking on a beach. But even in those few days away, the experience of the happiness will probably be touched and laced with a longing of more joy, meaning we'll probably talk about what the next year holds for us, the next season of our marriage, the next season of life. See, joy is something that is tied to a hopeful longing as much as it's tied even to it a taste of the experience. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Joy is tied to a longing that is based in hope. Happiness is tied to a happening that is being experienced. Now listen, I believe that both joy and happiness are gifts. I don't like it when preachers talk down about people who are happy. Get joyful, don't be happy. Happy's temporary and only based in your happenings. I'm kind of good with happy happenings, aren't you? But I know and wise enough to not confuse joy and happiness. They're both gifts, but they are different. Happiness is fleeting because it's rooted in what's happening. Joy is constant because it's rooted in a hope that's eternal. And if we live for happiness, well, you will see the law of diminishing returns happen in your life meaning it will take more and more and more happenings to fill your tank. And you know what will happen to you? At best, you will be shallow. At worst, you will be addicted. Because we have been built for something bigger. Created in God's image, the most joyful being in the universe, we are wired to experience a great joy that comes from him. If you live for joy, you will experience exponential returns, returns that continue to compound and grow over time, which is why I believe it explains why we will never be bored in heaven. Heaven will be this taste of joy that will whet our appetite and a longing for more. And God, who is infinite, says, oh, I have more. And then he will give us more of that taste and it will whet our appetite for a longing for more and the cycle will continue as our hearts grow larger with great joy. When God announces to the shepherds, I have good news of great joy, don't think he just means I have a happy experience for you. Know that he means I have a greater capacity to enlarge your hearts for more of who I am, and I am the joyful one. Joy is tied to hope. I think that's why the, the book of Romans several times tells us that. In fact, 12.12 12, uh, commands us, be joyful in hope. Uh, Romans 5, I think it's the first part of Romans 5, says, actually says, we rejoice in this hope. And he goes on to talk about the gospel of Jesus. Joy is tied to our hope, which means our joy will only be as strong as our hope. And I think that makes so much sense because it's why depression is a hopelessness that results in no joy. It's why we use words like despair to describe joylessness. Joy is tied to our hope, and that's good news for Christians. You know, the Puritan pastors and theologians and teachers of the First Great Awakening, they, they've been given a, a bad rap as being teachers who talked about truth but had no joy. Come on, be honest. Have you ever seen a picture of a Puritan smiling? No, we just assume they don't know anything about joy. And yet the greatest of Puritan thinkers and theologians, Jonathan Edwards, this was a three-point sermon outline. He says, our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost. And the best things are yet to come. That's a good sermon. That's the kind of sermon that allows me to choose joy 
in every circumstance because I know that regardless of the happenings of this day, I have a joy that is set in a great future in Jesus Christ. And men and women, that was the shepherd's key to joy. God interrupted their routine, not a happy routine. They went to Bethlehem and they see the Christ child in the manger. And then they go back to their lives. Had any of their circumstances, their happenings changed? No, they would still be socially ostracized. They would still work an isolated, marginalized life. Their financial circumstances wouldn't improve. Their living conditions wouldn't change. They go back to the same sheep in the same fields, but they're different. They're praising God, filled with joy. All because they saw the salvation of their Savior's birth. That tells us where true joy is found. True joy is found in the promise, or excuse me, the presence of a promised rescuer. And that's where we sit today as well. But joy, joy causes you to leap to your feet, bounce back to your circumstances like the shepherds. So as the worship team comes out and continues to lead us, would you stand and worship with us?
free to be seated for just a moment. If your celebration of Christmas is only a sweet sentiment, if it's only rooted in the experience of a momentary happening, it, it promises maybe some diversion of happiness, maybe even some delights of happiness, but it won't satisfy. Because you, you have been created more nobly than that. You've been created for great joy. And you know that great joy won't happen until a solution to all that causes joylessness to happen. And that's why the angel also appeared to Joseph and told him what that solution was. He said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, your wife will give birth to a son. and You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Even his very name tells us where the source of joy is found. You know, the name Jesus means Jehovah saves, or God saves. So every time you say the name Jesus, you are saying two truths. You are saying, I need saving, and I have a Savior. And that's where true joy is birthed. We have a God who takes care of what we need most, and what we need most, he says, he came, you name him Jesus, because he will come and save his people from their sins telling us what is at the root of all of our joylessness. I know that we think our joylessness is found in the fact that our happenings are not working out like we want. But if we look deeper, there's a deeper root problem. And that root problem is called sin. Sin is the thing that causes the depression we feel, the death of our loved ones, the disease around us, the oppression and the divisiveness around us. All of that finds its same root in sin. No, we need a Savior who will go after to the root and root it out for us. We need a God who can save us from sin. And in Jesus, he is that God. It's what caused Tim Keller to say, God is so committed to your ultimate joy that he was willing to plunge into the greatest depths of suffering himself for you. The joy ultimately finds its fulfillment in the cross. That would be odd if we thought joy was rooted in happenings. But that's not odd if we find that joy is rooted in God's salvation. Because at the cross, Jesus in his broken body and shed blood, he dealt with sin by paying the penalty. You see, he came to live the perfect life we were created to live. And he died the gruesome death that we deserve to die, all to pay for sin. And once he dealt with the root problem, now in that clean and fertile soil, joy can spring up. And that's why communion is a joyful celebration of Jesus at every Advent. We will have the ushers pass the elements to you this morning would ask you to hold the elements until everyone has been served, and then we will eat and drink together. Let's continue to worship our Savior, Jesus, God saves. Hidden glory in creation. 
Well, I was going to stand you right here, but you're already ready to go. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let her receive her King. Come on, sing it out. Let every heart prepare Him. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And
Broken body, shed blood. It means that our past is forgiven and our future is secure. You know what sits in between that? Great joy. The hope of greater joy to be fulfilled, the taste of great joy now. And that is why we eat and we drink to the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ and King. God, we, your people, stand in your presence because you have come for us. It is in the presence of a promised rescuer that we find our great joy. There is no place we go this week where your presence is not with us. There is nothing we do. You and the joy of, our, of your salvation is our constant joy. So this week, we anchor our hope in that. We do love you grateful for this season of Advent that tunes our hearts more in the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that we find in Christ Jesus. And all your people gladly say, Amen. If we can pray for you this morning, it would be our delight.
In fact, Dick and Connie Nervig will be right here in front of the baptistry to pray for you. If we could connect with you, it would be our delight. Our connections team is in the community booth right across the foyer. We would love to say hi and help you get connected here. Before we begin to leave, can we do a benediction of joy together? Would you read this aloud? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, church. I look forward to next weekend with you. Have a great week.